The following episode contains language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Finding Peace Podcast. I'm really excited to be able to introduce to you a man that was a fascinating person to get to meet. Someone who has learned how to make pain his guru. Traver Boehm knows men, how they think, what's behind their behavior, and most importantly, their unique challenges in the modern landscape. Traver is the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, the fastest growing men's movement in the world. He's the author of Today I Rise, and Man Uncivilized, as well as a two-time TEDx speaker, men's coach, and podcaster. Drawing on an eclectic background ranging from professional bodyguarding and mixed martial arts to a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine and meditation, Traver counsels men, women, and couples on how to better understand men's mental health and relationship difficulties. Although he's not quite sure how to feel about the title, he's been dubbed the Man Whisperer, as he has the unique ability to speak to men in a way that they can hear and understand. With a passion for people and a unique lens through which to view the human experience, Traver is a highly sought-after teacher in the fields of consciousness, intimacy, and personal development. And it is my distinct pleasure to introduce Traver to you now. Hey, Traver, thank you so much for being on the Finding Peace podcast. I am really excited to hang out with you for a little bit. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Troy, truly. Uh, thank you for the welcome, for the warm welcome. As we were just saying, thank you for having Jedi Master as your your <laughs> podcast link. So I feel at home. I feel comfortable. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I'm a little bit of a geek, man. Just a little bit. <laughs> Um, I, I, I've, I watched your TED Talks, both of them, made me cry. Uh, I, one of the mm. primary, in the Fighting Peace model, the very first thing that we start with is pain. Yeah. And that is exactly what you started out with, with mm. your, your talk. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your story. Um, how did you become familiar with pain? Let pain become your guru. Could you share us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in hindsight, Troy, I'm one of those people that as a therapist, if you had asked the uninitiated me, like, did you have any trauma in your background? I would go, no, no, like nothing happened. My, you know, my parents, I wasn't raped. I wasn't abused. I wasn't nothing like no car accident, nothing. Like I lived this very charmed life. And in some regard, I have, or I had. Uh, and when my story changed at the time, 
Uh, I was kind of that cliche guy who, quote, had it all. Right? I had built my own business. It was very successful. It was a gym, so I could come and go. I could wear board shorts. Like I could you know, come to work in sandals. It, it paid well. My business partner was a uh, good friend of mine from college. I was married to the woman of my dreams. I had a kid on the way. Uh, first, I was living in Santa Barbara, California. Like, What else do you want to go, wow, this is, this is what people strive for? And I'll say there was an asterisk to that story, which I'll get to in a minute. But in very short order, my ex lost the pregnancy, told me that was the universe's way of telling her that she should leave the marriage. And my business partnership disintegrated for a completely different reason, all in a very short time span. So suddenly I went from not having to navigate pain in my life, other than physical pain as an athlete and a fighter, to, okay, well, I remember telling my buddies, like, I have a new roommate. My roommate is pain. I've never had to live with this person before. I've never had to let them influence me. I've never had to be in relationship with them. And so the asterisk, though, is pain lived in my house. I just kept pain at an arm's distance with alcohol, with weed, with porn, with exercise, with multiple businesses, with you, you name it. Uh, so I think what I really recognized when everything fell apart was this is so much pain that I can't bypass it. I can't smoke it, drink it, jerk it, fuck it, run from it. It's like I've, I can't. And I remember literally sitting on my couch maybe a day or two after this all went down and thinking, thank God. Thank God that this pain is so big that all of my old techniques aren't going to work and I'm going to actually have to deal with my own life. Mm. Right. And then I think it was like 0.2 seconds later, it was like, but we can try. <laughs> <laughs> There's still booze in the garage. Right. We still have an internet connection. Right. <laughs> and then fortunately, 0.4 seconds later was, don't you dare waste one ounce of this pain. That was the shift. And, and I, I remember hearing this voice. And I'm not a religious person. I don't know if it was God, the divine, my own subconscious intuition, whatever you want to call it, but thinking, what the hell are you talking about? Pain isn't something I want to have as part of my life. Pain is something I want to get through as fast as possible so I can get back to my life. But when that shift happened and I realized that pain was the, the, the substance that was going to alchemize me, and get me from where I was to who I actually wanted to be, then I had to surrender to it and lean back and go, okay, God damn, I'm not in control anymore. All right, I will mm. feel all of it. And it, that day, I quit drinking, quit smoking pot, quit looking at porn. I still exercise a lot, but I love it. But I quit dissociating from the pain as best as I could you know, having no skill, having no training in it, and really went on a journey to learn and discover a whole different side of reality, the one that included what was going on on the inside. So hmm. that's how it really became, not my platform, but something that was so important to me because I watched my own transformation through it 
and then immediately was presented with other men who I was like, oh, I know exactly where you are. You're me mm-hmm. two years ago. I can see it. You're running in the same ways I ran. You're hiding in the same ways I hid. No one's told you that you can actually use this thing that you're running from. And if you do, you will actually get further than you will by running from it. And that was like, mm. phew, that's when everything changed. I just got chills, right? That's, that's when I know what we're talking yeah, about. Dude, that's shit. so powerful. Yeah, so I was initiated without consent. And thankfully so, because I wouldn't have given consent. And it was the, right? Who wants to be like, cool, yeah, let's, you know what? Let's control, alt, delete our life and flush it down the toilet. And who, who does that consciously? But man, am I, in hindsight, it was truly the best thing that ever happened to me. Where did that take you? It took me on a year-long adventure that I created to fill the gap of, okay, I'm no longer married. I'm no longer having a kid. I no longer have a business, which is a lot of open space for a human who a couple weeks before had all of that. Uh, I created this idea of what would I do with my life for one whole year if it were my last year to live. And I dubbed it the Year to Live Project. And I made it public. So I went from a very private person with a lot of secrets to a very public person who was putting it all out there and went on this exploratory journey of volunteering in hospice, of reconnecting with my family or trying to get my family to reconnect, with apologizing to people who I owed apologies to, with, as the TED Talk showed, sitting in a pitch black room for a month as a meditation of learning about leadership, of healing, of men's work. It was a a wild, wild, wild year. And we can come back to that. But at the end of that year, I ended up writing a book about divorce and how do you get through it, not just in one piece, because I met so many people on that year journey who were at rock bottom and and weren't getting off of it, who were just stuck in that grief. And and these were people who might have been divorced 10 years ago but still were trapped in that, in that pain point. So I wrote a book about it and put it out in the world with no expectation. And oddly enough, men started reaching out to me left and right. I think we are the ones, you know, eight out of 10 divorces are female led. So a lot of men are the ones who wake up and go, wait a minute. I had a house, a couple kids, a wife a couple months ago and shit, something happened. Uh, I'm not okay. And these are the same guys who don't have, no one ever taught them the skill of, of what, I, what I had to learn. Like, how do you deal with pain? Maybe you shouldn't get drunk every night to get through this. Maybe you shouldn't try to sleep with five women a week to get through this. And so they, it, was, it was really random, Troy. Guys would reach out and be like, hey, uh, I'm not okay, but it seems like you are. Can you help me? And I would just write back, go, yeah, give me your phone number. Let's, let's chat. I, I don't have a business. I don't have a thing. I'm just a guy who's still living off the sale of my business, trying to figure life out, but like, let's hop on the phone. And so for a year of my life, almost the second year, I just talked to men, no agenda, no like, Hey, what are you going through? Holy shit. That sounds really hard. I remember when I was going through that. Here's what I did. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't. Uh, and it just started happening enough and enough and enough. And I was you know, cognizant of the idea of taps on the shoulder or the heart whispers or whatever you want to call it of like, wow, the universe keeps putting guys in front of me. That's weird. 
And one of them finally goes at the end of a call, you know, you should really charge for this. And I was like, charge for what? <laughs> We're like hanging out talking. And he's like, no, you really helped me. Like you don't understand that you're really helping me. And I went, oh, okay. Let me, uh, let me think about that. And I just put some ideas together from that. It wasn't like, hey, I can tell what's going on with you as a human for whatever reason, the year, the transformation, the pain alchemization had oriented me to see men in a capacity that other people couldn't and to see their challenges under a frame or under umbrella that other people couldn't. And so it's like, hey, this is the issue with your masculinity. With you, it's, it's a masculinity issue. You're really disconnected from the primal aspects of your life. You need to go get in a gym. You need to go fuck some shit up. You need to build some stuff. You need to find your balls. And then there's a whole other group. I was like, wow, you're really disconnected from a, a divine aspect or a consciousness aspect. Brother, like you are just waiting to cry or you are waiting to feel something not in your head or in your pants. You, you've got to go connect to nature. You have to talk to your partner. You have to find actual intimacy. And it was this, I'd be like, damn, I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. That was weird. And, but it happened enough, Troy, that I was like, huh, maybe I'll throw this idea out on social media. Let me just see what, what people's reactions are to taking the primal, taking the divine, putting them together and saying, hey, men, what do you think about this? And I'll, I'll frame this around, this was right in the middle of Me Too. So being male was not popular in 2017, 2018, whenever it was. It was like we all kind of hid and like check CNN every morning to see which one of our brothers had done some dumb shit or some horrible shit, right? And so right. when it did come out, I was like, hey, what, what do you guys think about this? Let's, let's just – here's an idea. My life exploded. My inbox exploded. My email inbox exploded. I had to hire an assistant. People were like, hey, come talk to us about this. Hey, how can I hire you? Hey, you should really put this in a book so that my three friends can read this. Hey, we're starting a men's group. Can you help us? And I was like, I am not, I'm an acupuncturist. I love you guys. Thanks so much. Uh, I used to run a gym. Let me know if you need help with kettlebell swings or like how to drop some weight. That was the back thought. But the forethought was, okay, this is why I went through all of that. To be actually, I just got chills again, to be the voice at this particular time that people seem to resonate with. And so I don't want to say I got put in this position without consent either. It was just one of those, I looked to my left and looked to my right and went, you know what? I can't not do this if it's working. So let, let's keep talking about it. So that's long answer to a very short question, but that's what letting my pain marinate me did to me and now did to my life. Yeah, it changed your mission, man. It changed everything. It changed how I exist in the world. It changed how I exist in relationship. It changed how I write, how I speak, what I write about, the fact that I write publicly, the fact that I am public, that I'm okay being public, that I'm still sober. It changed everything. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. That's powerful stuff, man. Way to have the courage to walk into that. Thank you. Yeah. 
All right. There was a bullet point on your website as part of that journey where you're ending up in Utah with a knife and that's it. So I want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not everyone's going to think I'm like a serial killer. <laughs> we'll give a little, in the wilderness, I guess. We'll give we'll a little more by. context. <laughs> the way I was in Utah, at a bank. <laughs> uh, I did something that was called Boulder Outdoor Survi- Survival School in Boulder, Utah, not Boulder, Colorado. And okay. essentially... We were given a knife, a water bottle, uh, some tablets to you know to, to to clarify water, a blanket, a first aid kit, and a compass, and for a month had to live in the woods, had to live in the desert, had to like procure food. There was a little bit of like a a ration of food given at certain times, but at other times not. And it was this wild experiment of. again, of more discomfort, of more pain, of figuring out what is important and what is not important. And really being, I would just say that whole month was a deep, deep lesson in being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because it snowed, it hailed, it rained, it was terrible. And you think like, oh, that'd be a fun thing to do. Trust me, on day four, I was sick of it. And still had you know twenty four days to go, which is a long time to be wet, cold, freezing, starving. I lost twenty five pounds in twenty eight days, and, and I'm not heavy. And I went from like one eighty to one fifty five in a month. And you paid money for and that. I paid a money for it. <laughs> oh my gosh! So dude. many lessons from like I, that. That trip was was magnificent. But I will say, I joked with a guy who trust me, everybody like buddies up because you're so cold at night. So I'd be sitting there like snuggling with this dude, and he was like, "You know what we should do when we get out? We can just charge people like half the money, and we'll put them in our backyards and spray them with a hose and not give them any food." <laughs> that business venture never really got off the ground. Um, <laughs> But the idea oh, wow. was there. Yeah. The top two lessons you learned from that were? Man, do you not need much to be okay? Like you need mm. very, very little to be okay. And two, I would say the information that comes in when you're truly connected to nature and disconnected from distraction is monumental. So I have been a meditator for 25, 27 years and had never had a vision in quotes, never had like, never saw anything. I was one of those people that was like, meditation just, it calms me down. So I do it. But on the the last, on the third week, we did a five day solo, meaning we were, this was a group of 12 people, but for five days, you were completely alone, completely alone. And I meditated on that, in that section and had this vision rush in of me speaking in front of groups of men. And in one, I just going to get chills again, saying, I'm, I'm about to teach you everything that I've learned in the last four years. I've traveled the world. I've taught in front of thousands of people. I've made a ton of money. I built a business. I'm going to show you how. And I remember, like, st- I stood up in the middle of the meditation, kept my eyes closed, and kind of walked around feeling all of this. And then opened them up and was like, that's weird. I don't really want to work with men. This was 2016. It still hadn't happened yet. (laughs) And 
I told that story five weeks ago to my first group of uncivilized men's coaches doing a coaching certification. And I was like, guys, you are that group. I'm about to teach mm. you. I just got fuck, look at my arm. I'm about yeah, to teach me you too. everything I've learned for the past four years. So one, I came home. So to go back to point one, I came back into civilization, back into society. I remember I was seeing a woman at the time and reconnected with her. And she and I were leaving a gym. And I said to her, I'm at this magic point where I'm not yet re-addicted to my phone. I can take it. I can leave it. If there's like a messages, if it buzzes, I don't look at it. I don't look at it at stoplights. I don't look at it, you know, when I'm driving, like I'm not there yet. And it took me about 10 more days till I was constantly picking the thing up and looking at it and feeling the dopamine hit and the, the disconnect of like, where is my phone? I can't find it. It's, oh, it's three feet from me. Right. So that was point one of like, man, we don't need any of this shit. I also remember after coming home, walking through Whole Foods and seeing like how clean everybody was, how much food they had in a cart and thinking like, what are we doing? You guys, like you don't need any of this shit. This is a waste. Like, what are we doing? Uh, so the simplicity, Troy, like how simple joy is, you know, on that five day solo and it sounds super like hippie. But I just watched birds. Like I watched like squirrels play. People are like, were you bored for five days? Like, no. There was so much to do and see and feel in nature that I would love to get back to or I needed to get back to. Right. So that was point one. But then again, point two, I think we are disconnected from a source of information that is the truth. And every time I pick up my phone and look at Instagram, I go half a step away from that truth. Every time I fuck off on CNN and like look at how like terrible stuff that's happening all over the world, I get a little bit further from that truth. Hmm. But recently I've, I've shut down some of my social media interaction and created more open space of long, like hour long meditations, two hour long meditations. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I get to plug back hmm. into this thing that makes so much more sense then the politics, the mandates, abortion, uh, what happening in Afghanistan, who, what the Kardashians are doing. Like, wow, none of that makes any sense to me. It's, it's literal insanity when I get to plug into what feels like truth. Mm. So I, again, I feel like that might have been, I might have gone on like a long-winded rant. No, mm. man, that's, that's really powerful. Um, part, of, part of the finding peace process that I talk to people about is that when painful things happen, one of the processes that takes place is we make up, we try to find reasons for why those bad things happened, and they're usually false. They're usually false reasons. I'm bad. I deserved it. There's something wrong with me. Right. When we really are able to tell the truth and sit in the truth, the peace comes. Yeah. We're able to wash away the the pain uh wash away the stories and really sit in the truth and that's where the peace comes and that's part of the reason why i really wanted to have you on here is because i love how you sat in the pain and learned the lessons that brought you to a sense of peace and just as we're talking the the emotion that comes up and the, 
the joy and the power. That's what peace is all about, man. Yeah. And so you're, I love that you're modeling it. And I love that you're talking about Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I looked at the male. I've said this. I looked at the male landscape and I saw an epidemic of unexpressed pain. And I still mm. see it. I'd say this was you know, pre-COVID. People were, were struggling pre-COVID. And now it's like the, the epidemic on top of the pandemic, on top of whatever the, like, how do, how do you take a pandemic and exponentiate it? That is pain. That is what we are dealing with right now, which is why addiction rates are through the roof. Suicide rates are through the roof. Anxi- anxiety, dep- everything is through the roof. Because at no point would we get like pulled aside in junior high and they were like, hey, we're not going to teach you about the Pythagorean theorem because that thing's kind of bullshit. You, you won't need it unless you get into engineering. But let's talk about pain. Here's this opportunity. Here's this thing. There's a lot of commercials on television which will tell you that you shouldn't feel it, but you really should. And if you do and you learn to sit with it, it will change you in positive ways. Like I would have loved that as an eighth grader. It may not have made sense and I'm going to like, eh, this is dumb. But it would have at least planted the seed instead of the seed that was planted, which was discomfort, bad, pain, run, especially for men, right? Physical pain, amazing. Keep lifting harder. Do more pull-ups. Get up earlier. Drink more Red Bull. You can do it. Emotional pain, okay, this is not good. (laughs) Run as fast as you can. Hide as deep as you can. Trust me, it'll go away. It won't. But like, pretend that you cannot run this thing. So yeah, I appreciate that. I, I feel like that is the work right now for all of us is shifting the culture here in the West to go, you can't just have the light. There's going to be some dark. And I think you said this when I interviewed you last week, you, you can't selectively numb. Right. Right. We can't. And yet how many people do you know, or not even do you know, I remember Troy first year out of acupuncture school, giving a speech at the office, like the new office that I worked at, they're like, hey, you should give a talk. And I gave a talk on a little bit about pain, but I said, hey, do you realize that America consumes more opiates than every other country combined? Now, I'm not picking on us for drug use. I'm asking this question, why are we in so much pain? Because opiates are a painkiller. We're not addicted to steroids. We're addicted to opiates. What is it about the way America is constructed, our collective belief system, our patterns and actions that puts us in so much pain? And that's, you know, that was 10 years ago that I was asking that question. I would love to ask that question again publicly every day. And I'm not putting down people who, you know, fell off a ladder yesterday and are like, bro, my knee is blown out. I'm like, cool, take it. But I would say the vast majority of people in the U.S. are suffering in pain right now. Absolutely. I mean, we are the most addicted, in debt, obese, medicated cohort that's ever existed, right? So there is a ton of pain that we're seeking to know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I used to, as a social worker, I used to work in the NICU mm-hmm. of the hospital. And of all the babies, then the nurses would joke about all the babies who were the whiniest and the loudest and would cry the most, it was the little white boys. The little white boys <laughs> were the loudest and expressed their they expressed their emotions the most. Mm. But by the time we get to the 
f five years old, that the culture says you are not allowed to feel. Mm -hmm. Don't don't have a voice. You need to shut that sucker down mm -hmm. and don't feel. And so the culture is uh, men can't feel. You can be angry, mm -hmm. uh, but look where the anger takes us, right? right. Um, but other than that, no, you, you, you're a wimp and a weenie right. if you have feelings. And so then we have them. We don't know what to, what to do with them. So we'll just numb them, mm -hmm. like you said, which is not helping our society at all. Mm. So I love the work you're doing, man. Thank you. I am so excited about Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the one of the things that we do, the last part that we do at the end of our podcast is we do the 10 speed round questions. I'm game. And uh, I don't give you a heads up. I just ask them. <laughs> and then whatever comes up, we just go with it. How's that oh boy. This, is, this is okay. Improv. I'm on. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. No pressure. Okay. No pressure. Do you want a one word right. answer? Do you want like a full sentence? No. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can expand okay. however you want. Okay. Uh, feel free to elaborate. Sure. 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 Uh, number one. What's one thing about you that surprises people? Uh, how sensitive I am. I have chewed up ears from professional fighting. I do not have a hairline, so I shave my head. So I've, and I, I apparently have like a stern face a lot. Uh, so people don't realize that, yeah, just how incredibly sensitive I am to the world. I would say that. I saw your picture and I'm like, man, this is a badass. Uh, don't mess with him. And then I met you and I'm like, oh my gosh, he has a heart. <laughs> I love this guy. He's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Uh, we've all faced a major decision in our life that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going right. And we've kind of been talking about this the whole podcast mm -hmm. episode. Uh, recently, when were you faced with such a dilemma and how did it work out? Hmm. You know, the left turn, I would say, is I remember the night before I published my book. And I remember thinking, like, don't do it. This is going to open mm. Pandora's box for you. And it's one of those things you can't take back. Uh, so I would say that of just actually standing in the middle of the idea that people will hate me for this. And that's okay. If it creates the yeah. change I want, I'm, I'm willing to take those arrows. Uh, you kind of made a joke on your second TED talk about, you know, being a white supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Elaborate a little bit. <laughs> the hate mail that people get as they perceive yeah. that that's what you are. Yeah. You are not. Yeah. Let me elaborate. <laughs> you are not. But they look at you and they make a judgment. Yeah. It's, I'm an easy, I, mean, I don't have hair. But I would love people, right. again, to realize that like, that is not a political statement. That is a genetic statement. Um, <laughs> and to just, I think, to put myself in that position, Troy, of people are going to project all of their stuff all over me because this book is disruptive. I've had women flat out say, like, fuck you for not working and writing a book about women. How dare you write something about men? How dare you? And I'm like, well, but don't you want men to stop doing the things that they're doing that's troublesome? And they're like, yeah, but fuck you anyway. Like, okay. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. One, uh, one of my heroes, 
Brene Brown, her first book was written for women, and a man did the same thing. Oh, why aren't you writing books about yeah. the men? So that's really interesting. Right. Can't please everybody, I guess. Yeah. I guess we got to yeah. with that. Speaking of books, what book are you reading right now? Mm, I'm reading uh, The Body Keeps the Score. I kept hearing about this oh. and kept hearing about it and kept hearing about it. And, and I listened to a podcast episode with the author maybe a month ago that was so profound. Uh, I, I'm a voracious reader. Uh, but so that's the last one that in my, it's in my, in, in, I'm reading it now. And then I want to read The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. That's up next. Um, mm. I read both of Tim Grover's books on Relentless and Winning. Those were a little rah-rah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a, the body keeps the score has me fascinated right now. That is a wonderful yeah. book. That's on my show. I bet. Mm-hmm. When uh, we kind of covered this one already, but that's all right. When have you felt most alive? Mm. In the middle of a shitstorm of a divorce and everything falling apart, I was paddling for a wave in Nicaragua with two people on the beach only that I knew if I fell, if I do not make this wave, I will probably die because I'm facing a cliff. It's like pushing me into a cliff. So I either make the wave and I do a hard left and I end up okay, or I fall and I'm ending up on the rocks and there isn't, there are no services within a, you know, you call the police in Nicaragua and they'll be like, cool, will you pay for our gas? Okay, we'll be there tomorrow. So, but I remember, Troy, the moment as I tried to stand up, just being like, this is life. <laughs> so, <laughs> and fortunately, I made the wave and yeah, all's been well since. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see that. I see that. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Thank you. <laughs> what does finding peace mean to you? To me, it means having a deep connection with the truth that lives in your stomach and in your heart. Mm. That's it in its simplicity. A connection. I think that's the, the thing we have lost. Connection to nature, connection to each other, connection to what's real, but mostly connection, especially for us men, to what's going on six inches below our collarbone. Uh, that. So yeah, connection to the truth of your stomach and heart. Hmm. That is so interesting because that's how my book starts. We are wired for connection. Mm-hmm. That's so uh, true. We've forgotten that, haven't we? Or we, we've yeah. gone to like junk food connection of like, cool, you liked my picture. Thanks. Now I'm connected to you, yeah. but I'm sitting here alone in my apartment, you know, wondering whether I should get high or jerk off or both because I don't have friends or I don't know where they are. And the sun is rising and setting, but I can't see it because there's buildings all around me. Or I'm so caught up in the drama of the politics that I'm missing the connection to real humans. Mm. So profound. If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal meaning, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to say that the island has shoulder-high surf, so I'm bringing a surfboard. That is my bliss point. That's where I find the deepest peace and the deepest connection to everything is out in the water. So I'm bringing a surfboard. You're living in the mountains, dude. I know, but it's not, I'm wintering in Costa Rica. I've got, I've got oh, this figured okay. out. Uh-huh. <laughs> the plan is in play, Troy. I leave in two months. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, 
that makes sense. Maybe you do go snowboard. <laughs> yeah, something like that, that I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, name a person or a teaching that has had a profoundly positive impact on your life. You know, ever since I was a kid, I was a Bruce Lee fan. And it, I mm. dove into the philosophy. You know, I had the Tao of Jeet Kune Do at like 12, but didn't understand it. It just was too too profound or too deep. But having reread his work as an older person, uh, I think, man, this guy was on point. Everything he did from the courage to be a uh, Chinese person in films, to take on the martial arts world, to create a paradigm of, you know, take what you need, let go of what you don't, to challenge the current culture, to challenge the martial arts culture. I just, like, that man was, you know, dead before I was born, most, I believe. But yeah, just deep in my heart. I'm not dead before I was born, but right after. But yeah, Bruce Lee. Hmm. Awesome. I don't know a whole lot about him other than he was a Chinese hmm. martial artist in the movies. He was a teacher. What's yeah, a... He was a really profound teacher. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And that makes me want to go learn about him. What's a daily practice you must do every day? Write. I have to write. If I don't write, my world falls apart. That's my, like, I'm okay in the world. I've written on napkins. I write on my phone on planes. I, I write on, I remember writing on a puke bag on a plane. Uh, I, I have to write every single day. That is not what I expected you to say. That's really amazing. Yeah. I love that. What's one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered it? Mm. When will you get Dolly Parton and Shakira to sing you happy birthday at the same time? And I will say next year, Troy, and it's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> awesome well i hope that comes true is that true is that for real is that just that's for real brother from your mouth to god's ears wow man that's, that's super cool <laughs> well, that is awesome thank you last question what are you up to and where can people find you I am still building a movement of a million men. That is my mission. That is my purpose. That is my goal. And to do that, I, I have a podcast, the Uncivilized Podcast. You can find my book at manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. Or I believe by the time this comes out, it'll be on Amazon. So international listeners can get it shipped for free, which is a huge step. I'm on Instagram less and less, but my, my writing is on there. And that's at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. And if you go to manuncivilized.com, you get all my course offerings, uh, the membership group to the nation, which is this phenomenal group of men who are actually doing this work together. You can find the live teams that are now uh, active all over the world of uncivilized men in the nation who are bringing my ideas about pain, about alchemy, about transformation, about how do you live a kick-ass life, but not do it alone. Uh, those guys are also popping up all over the world right now. So those are the places. Man, go check it out. Traver, thank you so much for being with me. Man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, brother. Truly, thank you. You are an 
you are an inspiration. Thank you, sir. And I am grateful that the universe put us in connection with each Thank other. Thank you. I am as well. Cheers. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.